Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Let me go ahead and get this uh, out because my heart is full today. I just want to wish each one of you a happy Thanksgiving. May the Lord bless you as you travel. I pray that God would give you traveling mercies. I pray that God would give you wisdom as you go and you love on your families. Um, I am fully aware that as you go and visit families, uh, there are different situations that you find yourself going into. Some of you are going into uh, family situations where you're very excited about being with your family. In fact, you cannot wait to get there and cannot wait to reunite as a family. And you're very excited about that, while others may be suffering from a little bit of uh, family challenges. And so I just want you to know that I'm praying for each one of you that the Lord would give you wisdom as you go and you're with your families. You know, when you think about families and you think about good times and bad times, uh, you can't help but think about sometimes there's pain. And uh, pain is a very interesting motivator. Pain oftentimes can motivate us into getting things done. I heard a story of a family that liked to go camping during the holidays, and as they were going camping during the holidays, they uh, would pull up, and there was uh, several children and a mom and a dad, and they got real right to work. I mean, jumped out of the car, and the children started setting up tents. The dad started to go collect firewood. Mom started getting everything ready for uh, the, the campfire and, and the food that they were about to eat. And their neighbors noticed what was going on and how busy they were and how, man, they just everybody was snapping to attention and getting it done. And the man walked up to the husband, and he stopped the husband. He said, Sir... He said, I, I got a question. This is amazing. How did you train your family to work like a team? And uh, the dad was real antsy. He said, man, he said, uh, I'm going to tell you what. He says, it's, just, it's, it's very easy, but I got to hurry because I've got to get done. He says, this is very easy. He says, no one's allowed to go to the bathroom until everything is set up. I got to go. And he ran off. Pain can be a motivator to helping us get some things done. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this Thanksgiving season in Acts chapter number 21, we see that Paul experienced a tremendous amount of pain. And the pain that Paul uh, felt and the pain that Paul went through was never looked at through his eyes of being unjust. He never looked at his situation and the pain that he was going in as going through as an unjust pain. He knew that every pain that he was experiencing was accomplishing God's will. So I, I want to share with you this morning, dear friend, the pain that you may be going through this holiday season, regardless of what it is. Maybe it's a job change. Uh, maybe it is a, a, a challenge between you and your spouse. Uh, maybe it's a challenge within your family. Maybe it's persecution at your job. Whatever pain you're going through, don't fall for the trick of the devil to make that he will try to make you think that God is asleep during your pain. Don't fall for the trick of the devil that he might try to fool you that God doesn't care about your pain. 
when you look at this text and you see that the pain that Paul has gone through, and, and he's not done yet. Man, when you, when you go through the book of Acts in this latter part that we're just about to finish up, we're going to go through this last uh, section here. Uh, it, it'll begin at the first of the year. I'm about to take a break. There's several Christmas messages that I'm looking forward to preaching in the future. Uh, but when you look at this, uh, you cannot help but ignore that it is a historical narrative. That is to say that what we're reading is, is a story of historical facts as to how God used Paul's pain to accomplish his purpose. And just like Paul, we go through pain. Now take it, we don't have rocks thrown at us and we're not beaten uh, down physically. Uh, our pain may be a little bit more emotional. Our pain may be more a little bit more in the work environment, verbally. But the fact of the matter is, we still have pain in our lives. Just like Paul had pain. And what I want to share with you today is God wants to accomplish His purpose through your pain. And when you look at Paul, you cannot help but see that's exactly what God was doing. Now remember the context here. Paul is in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and as he's there in Jerusalem, he brings this offering to the church thinking it's going to unite everybody. And what ends up happening is the church has been corrupted with false doctrine and they attack Paul because they accuse him of things that are not true. He is guilty of one thing and one thing alone and that's being faithful to Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. And anytime man gets involved in religion, man will do everything in his power to take the attention off of the main thing. Brothers and sisters, the main thing today is Jesus Christ. He's the main thing. And what has happened in our culture today is we have gotten our eyes off of the main thing. We, th we say today in our culture that we need to just focus more on politics or, or we need to focus more on money or we need to focus more on our retirement or we need to focus more on this or that. And no, really the reality of the matter, dear friend, is we need to get refocused on Jesus Christ. He's the answer. The Bible says He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Paul's pain, you see that he never looked at it through the lens of it being unjust. And I would just say this today, dear friend. If you're here today, and if you are suffering from this injustice that you think you're getting from God, from this mental perspective, God doesn't care about the problems that I'm going through. God doesn't care about my situation. God doesn't seem to be around while I'm going through these difficult times. If that is your mentality, I ask you today to look through the lens of Paul's eyes, if you will, and see that that is a sin. And get right with God. And realize that God will never leave you, He'll never forsake you, and He wants to use your pain to accomplish His purpose. So notice what happens in verse number 37. The Scripture tells, and this is a very lengthy section, but let's look at it together. The Bible says, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? Now remember the context here. Paul has been in Jerusalem. Big riot happened. Uh, the Jews threw him out of the church and were starting to beat him, and they were trying to beat him to death. 
the Roman centurions that were over, Rome was over Jerusalem at this time, the Roman centurions saw what was going on, the commander himself said, let me go deal with this, and there's a reason why, we'll see it in verse 38. He runs down, and he grabs Paul, rescues him from death, and leads him to the barracks, leads him to jail. Paul uh, then asks, he says, can I speak to you, sir? And the commander answered in verse number 38, into verse 37, can you speak Greek? Paul says, or excuse me, the centurion then says, Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? You see, this centurion thinks that Paul is somebody that he's not. Might I submit this to you today, dear friend? Our culture that we're living in thinks that we're somebody that we're not. They think that we're intolerant. They think that we're unloving. They think that we are archaic. And they get that from our actions. Paul had actions. His action was to lead people to Jesus Christ. Yet the presumption that came from the people was that he was unloving, uncaring, didn't care about the law of Moses, taught false doctrine. And no, the bottom line was he fulfilled Scripture as he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ that the law had been fulfilled in God, in Jesus Christ. God became flesh dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, died on the third day, rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, so that you and I could have a relationship with God. Notice what Paul says in verse 39. Paul said, I'm a Jew from, from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city or insignificant city. I implore you, Permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And, and when they were, uh, then, then there was a great silence because he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then Paul said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous towards God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Let me stop parenthetically right there and say this. It is so vitally important that you understand that when Paul speaks of this way, W-A-Y, way, it should be capitalized in your Bible, he, that is his way of saying that he was persecuting Christians. He said, I persecuted Christians. As a matter of fact, what Paul's doing, he motions with his hands all the Jews, and he goes, good job, guys. Good job. You guys remind me of myself. I persecuted just like you. As a matter of fact, he said, I persecuted Christians unto death. I was binding them and delivering them to prison, both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness. Where's he at? Bring the high priest in here. Let him give testimony. I was doing just exactly what you're wanting to do to me. In all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened 
As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice. They did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed unto you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked upon him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, there's Jesus, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men who have seen and of what you have seen and what you have heard. And now while you are waiting, arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now let me say something parenthetically right here, verse 16. It's so vitally important to understand that the context by which Paul is sharing his testimony... He is not saying that you have your sins washed away at baptism. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying here is that you have your sins washed away by calling on the Lord. And you call on the Lord first. It's consistent throughout the course of Scripture. It is you receive Christ as Savior, then you are baptized. It is a symbol, a projection, a memorial, if you will, of the death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 17, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that it was a, there was a trance. And I fell in this trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. For they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Now, I'm going to start right there. Dave, do you ever think about this? Paul knew the Jews would not receive his testimony. He had already heard on countless number of occasions as he was collecting this offering that he was taking to Jerusalem. They were all telling him, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, they're going to kill you. Don't go to Jerusalem, they hate you. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, they're not going to receive you. I'm telling you, the church at Jerusalem is an underground church and the church on top has been infiltrated with the, the, the pagans and the false teaching and the false gods and they have incorporated man-made religion into the church. Don't go, Paul. They will not receive your testimony. Even Jesus told him, they're not going to receive your testimony. Yet here's Paul in Jerusalem sharing his testimony. So what does that mean, Pastor? It means God don't give up on people. He does not give... I've met individuals that say, Pastor, I'm too far gone to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. You don't know what I've done. I'm telling you, God is not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. 
And when you realize His grace is sufficient to get you out of the deepest, muddiest gutter of your life, when you realize that, victory comes. So Paul is sharing his testimony knowing that they're not going to receive it. In fact, as a matter of fact, look what the Bible says in verse number 19. Paul says, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen, when Stephen's blood was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then Jesus said to Paul, Depart from me, and I will send you far from Jerusalem, from here to the Gentiles. Verse 22, here's where things change. And they listened to him until this word, until he said, God is sending me to the Gentiles. They listened to him until he said those words, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, they threw dust in the air. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted against him. And as they bound him with chains, Paul said to the centurion whom stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who's a Roman? I'm uncondemned. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care of what you do to this man, because he's a Roman. Then the commander came and he said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, Yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. So the commander said, I'm not a naturally born Roman citizen. I had to pay for my citizenship. And notice what Paul says. Immediately, Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that Paul was a Roman citizen because he had bound him. Why was he afraid? This is the reason why. Because for a man who was uncharged, who who had not been condemned, for a Roman to beat a Roman, full-blooded Roman citizen meant that that commander would not only lose his job, but he had to face death too. And so he was terrified that he had already made a mistake by locking this man up, by locking Paul up. But we see here in the text how loving Paul was as he shared the gospel not only with those that hated him, but also took care of the centurion as well by making sure he's not going to be condemned. When you look at this passage of Scripture, it's very evident that it breaks down into three natural sections. In these three natural sections I want to give to you this morning, I hope it will be an encouragement to you. Then i got three things to conclude here in the text. The first one I want you to see is the first section is the section that I have labeled presumption. Presumption. It's found in verse 37 and 38. In verse 37 and 38 we find that uh, the centurion assumes something about Paul that is untrue. We're living in a culture today, brothers and sisters, where our culture is assuming something upon us as born-again children of God that's untrue. 
This culture thinks that we're unloving. This culture thinks that we're unkind. This culture thinks that uh, we are narrow. As a matter of fact, the culture that we're living in today uh, says that we're uh, ignorant. And we're archaic. And we're narrow. Notice what the centurion said to Paul. The Bible tells us there in verse number 37 and 38 when Paul says, Hey, can I talk to you just for a minute? And the centurion says, uh, Are you a... Uh, the commander says, Can you speak Greek? And in verse 38, Paul... Uh, or excuse me. Uh, the commander says, Can you speak Greek? Because you seem to me that you're the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 uh, assassins out into the wilderness. He assumed that Paul was somebody that he's not. Has that ever happened to you? Has somebody over the course of your lifetime assumed that you're somebody that you're not? Uh, I can testify as a pastor, I've been assumed a lot of things. I, I've been, uh, people look at me and they assume this and assume that. Uh, they assume that I do things this way or that way. They make assumptions about me like I'm judgmental. They think that I'm, think that I think that I'm better than anybody else. I've had assumptions set upon me that I'm not happy by people who don't talk to me. Uh, I've had assumptions on me. People assume that I'm mean for those people that I've corrected. I can remember one time, uh, I remember uh, this individual in our church was having an affair. An affair. And as a pastor, you understand, I, I, I'm to watch over your soul. And so I came and I, I looked at the allegations and, and found that there was evidence and, and it was true. And I remember uh, going to the individuals and, and talking to the individuals and saying, look, uh, I'm telling you, God wants to restore this marriage. And, and they said, uh, yes, we want forgiveness. We want to be able to come together. I said, well, all right, then, then we need to ask forgiveness from God. We've got to ask forgiveness for each other. And then we've got to move forward with this. They said, okay, great. So they did. Ask forgiveness from God. Ask forgiveness for each other. And then I said, then you got to step out of ministry for a while. You need to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word. They said, you're so mean. You're mean to do that. That's mean. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to help you. Trying to help you get right with God, get right with each other, to grow. The problem is, is that you're separate. You need to come together. And there's no greater place to come together than in the house of God. Our culture has assumed some things about Christians today. They assume that we're unloving. And they assume that because we take such a strong stance on the biblical doctrines of the Word of God. I want to go on record today. Listen to me very carefully. We do not hate the LGBT plus community. We understand and clearly know that God died on the cross for that sin. When we think about who we are for and who we are against, a lot of times we get put in a category and people presume, presume that we're unloving. They assume that we don't love people. They assume that we're intolerant. Brothers and sisters, it's not that we're intolerant. It's that we live off a of conviction. And if you live off a of conviction, then you've got to take some stands. 
And if you're going to take some stands, why not take the stands that are in the Word of God? And they say, well, that, that, that's, that's your problem. You're backwards. You'd rather believe an archaic book than science. Oh, my stars. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the fact of the matter is God made science. And it's not that we don't believe science. We do believe science. Bless God, we believe gravity. I know that if I climb up on top of this building and say, hey, I want to fly, and I jump off, gravity is going to take effect, and science is going to prove I'm an idiot. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because the Bible also says that the reason why this thing is holding together is because God is holding this pulpit together. The reason why this earth isn't expanding out into chaos and it's just flying everywhere is because God is holding this thing together. God holds all things together. He is science. God is medicine. God, this is the bottom line, is. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do when we live in a culture that says we're unloving, intolerant, and backwards? Is that not what exactly what they did to Paul? Paul, you're not loving. You don't love Moses' law. Paul, you're intolerant. You won't stand for this issue of religious, just being religious. You, you keep talking about this relationship with God. Paul, we don't understand. You're backwards. You got this thing all backwards. And Paul's saying, no, I did not get this thing backwards. In fact, what did Paul do? Paul made a proclamation. See, not only do you see the presumption that he's backwards, you also see the proclamation that he is just right where God wants him. And when he made this proclamation, Paul is going to herald his testimony. What do you do when a culture attacks you? You share your story. What do you do when a culture hates you? You share your story. What do you do when there's a culture that comes after you for persecution? You share your story. When they think that you're unloving, what do you do? Share your story. When they think that you're uncaring, what do you do? Share your story. When they think that you're intolerant, what do you do? Share your story. When they say that you're backwards, what do you do? Share your story. Paul, being accused of all these things, here he is in pain. He's just been beaten. And now, not only does he have this presumption laid upon him, now he's going to make this proclamation. And this proclamation begins in verse number 39 and runs all the way to chapter 22, verse 22. And all he does is share his testimony. As a matter of fact, there's four parts to his testimony I want to show with you very quickly. Number one is this. In verses 1 and 2, Paul honors his listeners by first calling them brothers and sisters. He's not referring to them as Christians. He's referring to them as a, as a Jew. He is a Jew. So he comes and identifies his Jewishness by catching their attention, by saying brothers and fathers in their language. That's the first thing he does. He honors the listeners. Number two, the second thing that he does is found in verses 3 to verse number 5. What he does in verses 3 through 5 is he tells what his life was like before Jesus Christ. If you want to share your testimony, one of the things you got to do to join the church here, in order to join the church at Maysville, you have to share your testimony. And we ask three questions. What was your life like before Jesus? This is where we get it right here. 
Paul is telling what his life was like before Jesus Christ, verses 3 through 5. Number two, the second one, he shares how he came to Christ. How he came to Christ. That's verses 6 all the way to verse 16. Paul says, this is how I came to Christ. And then number three, the third thing he does is he talks about how, what his life is like after Christ. That is found in verses 17 through 21. So if you are wanting to give your testimony, if you're wanting to tell your story, your story ought to contain those three elements. Paul added this fourth one, if you would. We say that there was four as he identified who he was speaking with. He identified who he was speaking with, got on the same level with them. He told what his life was like before Christ. He told how he come to know Christ. And number four, he said what his life was like after Christ. That is how we tell our story. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, my story happened in 1988. Before I got saved, I was just a punk little kid, skinny as a rail, had to run around in the shower to get wet. The only thing that I had was my mouth. And man, I could cut you to the bone. I could remember standing in line one day at school and Somebody was picking on me, and I just let him have it. Up one side and down the other with my words. Never got in a fist fight. Uh, but man, it was, a, it was a battle of words and argument and cussing and terrible stuff. To which they turned around and walked away crying. A little girl tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around. And she said, do you talk like that all the time? What was sad is I did. As an angry, angry man. Angry young teenage boy. I suffered from tremendous anger. So much so my father-in-law is here today. I can remember before uh, I got saved, I can remember uh, he handed me a couple of pamphlets on how to control your anger. I said, ticked off when he gave them to me, I threw them in the trash can. But on March 22, 1988, a preacher was preaching just like I'm preaching to you today. And he shared about the love of Jesus Christ, how that God took my anger upon himself, and how that God took my language, my bad language, how God took my disobedience to my parents. And he took that, and it was sin, and he placed it upon himself, and he died in my place. And on the third day, he rose again victorious over those things in my life. And the pastor said that if you would come to Jesus, repent of your sins, and trust Him as your Savior, you too can be forgiven of your sins. And buzzard on that day, the Holy Spirit, I feel like my heart was about to beat out of my chest. And I can remember at the invitation I got into the aisle, and I came forward, and I gave my hand to my principal, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I didn't hear, it wasn't like Paul, there wasn't a bright light that shined. I didn't get knocked to the floor. I didn't go blind, but I'm going to tell you what did happen. A tremendous burden came off of me as I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I've never been the same since. After I got saved, God began to work with me and deal with me and began to call me into ministry. I ran from it at first, but then I ran to Him. And I stand before you today as a testimony and a witness of my story, how God changed 
the direction of my life. Brothers and sisters, can you tell your story? What was your life like before you got saved? What, how did you get saved? And what is your life like after you got saved? Paul gives us that insight. In verses 3 through 5, he says, Before I got saved, he says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus, and I have been brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. I have been taught according to the strictness of our fathers. He says, And as the law... I was zealous towards God, as all of you are today. Oh, listen to me, dear friend. Paul gives what his life was like before Christ. How he come to know Christ, and what his life is like now after Christ. And then we see the third section of this text. It starts in verse number 22. The third section of the text is just simply this. Providence. God's providence. We see that there's a presumption, there's a proclamation, and then there's providence. Verses 22 through 29, we see the providence of God on the hand of Paul. Paul, again, does not see that he's unjust. He's in an unjust situation. He sees that he's in the hand of God. You know, there's this old saying out there that says, God will never uh, lead you uh, into a place that's dangerous. That's not true. God led Paul into every, to many, many, every situation he was in was a dangerous situation. But Paul looked at it through the lens of providence. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you today to look at where you, you're at today through the lens of providence. God has got you right where he wants you. Could you be like Paul who was like Jesus and have a humble heart as Paul had a humble heart? And had one goal in mind, to use his situation and the pain that he was in to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. There are really three things we can walk away from this text. We can walk away from this narrative, this story, with three things. Number one, the first thing we can walk away with is this. God is not sleeping when your life becomes unjust. God's not sleeping when your life becomes unjust. I felt like that my life was unjust after I got saved. Uh, I got saved and um, God was working in my life and God gave me a wonderful Christian wife whom I love dearly. And uh, Then God blessed us with a brand new ministry in, in Carrollton, Georgia. I mean, things were just going wonderful. Miriam, we both uh, uh, were about to have our first baby. I mean, we really felt like God was just really doing great things. And then in the middle of nowhere, out of left field, a family member showed up on my door and rocked my world. My mother and grandmother came into the house and told me, that Robbie Robertson, the man who gave me my last name, the man that raised me, was not my biological father. At 23 years of age, I had gone through my entire life questioning what my problem was. I don't look like my dad. I don't look like my brother. I was told my whole life for 23 years that I look like my mom's side of the family. While that is true, I do favor them. I didn't favor my dad at all. 
I didn't favor my brother at all. And I just accepted that because I asked, am I adopted? Am I adopted? Tell me, am I adopted? What's my problem? Am I adopted? No, no, no. You're just like your mama's side of the family. You're just like your mama's side of the family. And the reality of the matter was this, Keith. The reality was, Robbie Robertson was not my biological father. Can I just be honest with you? That rocked my world and I was devastated. I said, God, I'm a Christian. How could this terrible thing happen to me? I'm so angry. And all these emotions begin to bubble up inside of me. Emotions that I hadn't felt in a long, long time. And man, I was so angry. I didn't want to see my mother. I didn't want to see my grandmother. I didn't want to go to Christmas. I didn't want to go to Thanksgiving. I didn't want to go to Mother's Day. I wanted to quit. I went to my church. I walked into the pastor's office and said, I quit. It's a joke. Been lied to my whole life. I'm done. And I thank God that I had a pastor that understood grace, mercy, and an unjust life. And he said, I will not accept your resignation. I couldn't even quit if I wanted to, Tim. Bless God. I tried. He said, You can take an indefinite leave of absence but you will not resign. And you go home and you get with God and you figure out what God's trying to tell you. And so I did. And after it all came down to an end, how many of you remember that WWJD? That's, that's what it boiled down to. What would Jesus do? i tell you what Jesus would do. He would forgive his mother. He'd forgive his grandmother. He'd forgive his uh, father. He'd forgive his biological father. He'd forgive his stepfather. He'd forgive everybody. And if I'm a Christian and I'm really truly like Jesus, then i got to forgive too. And so God sent me on a journey of forgiveness. You say, well, I thought you were the one that were lied to and done wrong. Yeah, that's amazing though, isn't it? That's what's so amazing about forgiveness. It was all for me. I, I had to go get right and ask them to forgive me. Why? Because I was in the wrong. I'm the one that hated. The Bible says if you hate someone, it's like committing murder. And really the bottom line is what God was doing is God was not sleeping while I felt like my life was unjust. He was using my situation to bring Him glory, honor, and praise. And today I stand before you and I'm so excited. I leave Wednesday to go to my sister's house to have Thanksgiving with my dad. My dad, my biological father and I have had a relationship now for many, many years. And I thank God that he used that difficult situation in my life. And when I think that God, when I look back on the sand during that period of time in my life, and I see only one set of footprints, I clearly recognize it was Jesus carrying me, not me walking by myself. Number two, here's the second thing we can learn from this situation. God's main purpose in your life is not your comfort. God's main purpose for your life is not your comfort. That's not what he's trying to accomplish. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but, give, but thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're either fighting from a position of victory or you're fighting for victory. Here's what I know as a Christian. I know that God's purpose in my life is not for my comfort, so what am I operating from? Regardless of my situation, you've heard me say it many times, regardless of my situation, I am operating from a perspective of victory. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me, gave himself for me. So whatever this trial is that I'm going through, whatever this difficulty is that I'm going through, God, listen, in his great love, his main purpose is not my comfort. His main purpose is that he gets the greatest glory out of me in every situation that I'm in. God's got bigger purposes. And then here's the third one, and I've and I got to be done. God's plan for the nations is the Great Commission. I gotta, I'm out of time. God's plan for the nations is the Great Commission. Paul clearly understood in the situation that he was in. He was to carry out the Great Commission, even if it meant death in getting there. So, dear brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you today. This, is, this message is for Christians. It's for Christians. I don't know what kind of pain you're going through, but God does. And God's not asleep through your pain. His desire is to use this pain that you're going through so that your life in the pain that you're in can bring Him glory. When we begin to look at our pain through the right perspective and realize that God is using our pain to accomplish His purpose, when that begins to happen and we live in that vein, it's amazing what God can do. I got a phone call this week from a former church member, my previous church. And I... Just was talking, we were having a great time on the telephone, just chatting about old times and ministry. And as we were talking, I said, how are you feeling? And he said on the phone, he says, well, you know, I'm getting worse every, every day, but I'm not living that way. I'm living from a position of victory regardless of how I feel. I'm going to heaven when I die. And he said, I just want you to promise me you're going to do my funeral. When my wife calls you, I want you to do it. And we laughed a little bit more and talked a little bit more and then I hung up the phone and I want you to get this. I was thinking about this. Here's a man that's got a terminal illness, cancer. He's dying. He lives every day for Jesus because God has given him every day that he has. He's not, he doesn't think God's mean. He doesn't think God's bad because he's got cancer. He's not upset because God hasn't healed him from cancer. He has recognized that in the pain that he's in, God wants to get the greatest glory from him. And whatever time that he has left on this earth, it's an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with a lost and dying world. His sphere of influence, he has his own business, and his sphere of influence are the employees that he has. 
I've shared this story with you before, but every year he gathers his workers, pays, pays them to come in. Everybody comes in on one day. They shut down all the equipment, and he stands before them, and he shares the Christmas story. He gives a gospel invitation, and he sees employees receive Christ every year. Through his years of faithfulness, he still got cancer. He's still going to die. But he refuses to look at his life as being unjust. Dear friend, whatever you're going through today, God's trying to tell you, your pain has been given to you to accomplish God's purpose. His purpose is to get glory from your life. The greatest glory He gets from your life is you being a testimony in this dark world. May we do so to such a caliber that we see more people be attracted to what we have and not repelled. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, thank you for the story of Paul being beaten, going to prison in preparation for another beating, yet staying true to the Word of God and staying true to the purpose you have for his life. So, Father, I pray today for believers that are here. God, if we have gotten off track, if we have failed during this Thanksgiving season to realize that there's a purpose to our pain, I pray that we would recognize that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And even in the pain, we operate from a position of victory. We are victorious. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting as victors. Lord, help our light shine very bright this Thanksgiving season as we share the greatest story of all, the story of redemption. And Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know the free pardon of sin, I pray today that would be the day that they receive Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name. Now before I say amen, maybe you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you're agnostic in your belief system. Maybe even atheistic in your belief system. Maybe you're a searcher, a wanderer. Maybe you're looking, you're just curious. Brother, the Bible says, sister, the Bible says just simply this. To die without Jesus Christ is to die without hope. The truth is you will die. If you die with Jesus, you have a sure hope of salvation. If you die without Jesus, you die with no hope. God wants you to have sure hope. And the way that you do that is recognize that you're a sinner. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Repent of your sins and live for Jesus. If you're here today and that's something you'd like to do, you say, Pastor, how would I do that if I want to do that? The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. So dear friend, if you want to do that today, if you would like to confess with your mouth, and it's, that term is not confessing in the verbal sense, but it's making an acknowledgement if you would. And that acknowledgement is, revolves around faith, believing in your heart. So if you want to, by faith, believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah and repent of your sins from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to Him? Would you say, Lord Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And today I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82, Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week, where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.